have a conversation with and get a response that's personalized and not robotic and that we're going to go above and beyond to make sure that uh, all of our customers are satisfied. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Honest E-Commerce. I am your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we welcome to the show a very amazing woman. Marnie Konsky is the CEO and... I, I love this... The Chief Anti-Chafing Champion at Thigh Society, a brand that makes high-saving underwear for women. So she's going to tell us all about that here in a minute. But first, before you were a Chief Anti-Chafing Champion... Marnie, what were you up to? What was the transition into getting into e-commerce like? Sure, Chase. And also, we make um, thigh-saving underwear. Um, I think you've said high-saving. So just so everyone's clear, we, we help to save thighs from inner thigh rub. You know what? I, I think I did say hi. I was speeding <laughs> through that. And that's my apologies. All good. I could just picture people listening, wondering, what are high-saving underwear? <laughs> so I wanted to clarify. Um, so yeah, uh, before Thigh Society, um, I had a career that had nothing to do with retail, intimates, e-commerce. Um, maybe technology was a, is a bit of a stretch. But I started my career off working at a consulting company, a large multinational tech consulting company, um, focusing in, in areas of human resource strategy. So helping to uh, train uh, employees on, on new systems, um, working to help uh, the organization improve its customer service, um, helping uh, the organization to ensure its employees were uh, feeling engaged and fulfilled in their work, looking at things like performance management, um, all the sort of typical HR strategy type of roles. Um, I had done that in the uh, private sector and then went on um, to pursue some other roles in the government or public sector here in Toronto. Um, and then I had the idea for Thigh Society, but decided to keep working um, in the corporate world and that was in the capacity of a career center director for MBA students. So I was working to help uh, MBA students' careers change. So helping them with writing their resume, refining their personal brand pitch, teaching them how to network, how to write a compelling LinkedIn profile, and essentially um, helping them with their job search. And so uh, the idea for Thigh Society actually came about um, while I was still working, and I did uh, I did start the business while working full time. Awesome! So you were doing a lot of uh, storytelling, essentially. Yeah. Back then, helping people craft their brand. Uh, so did any of that translate over to the beginnings of Thai society? Yeah, I think it did. And I, I always had a, an entrepreneurial itch um, growing up. I always had thought that I might run my own company, but I never really uh, came up with a, a really compelling idea that passed all of my devil's advocate tests until uh, until Thai society. So. I think I did. I had a business background um, with an undergraduate degree in commerce, and then I think that combined with some of my um, corporate work experience in terms of communications, working with 
um, senior people, uh, trying to figure things out as a junior, I think, you know, it was a sink or swim environment when I first started. And as an entrepreneur, it's kind of similar, you know, you have to be very resourceful, and you have to go out and be willing to find the information that you need, because at some, when you're a solopreneur at the beginning anyway, um, you know, you kind of are on your own in the sense of, of all responsibility falls on you to figure things out. So I definitely think that the early foundations of my career and then throughout some of those themes around storytelling, et cetera, definitely um, set me up for success uh, as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. So I, you know, there's a very specific question I want to ask of you there. So you have a, a more educated background than some entrepreneurs that I know. And now I want to ask the direct question here Mm -hmm. that you think that you could have done this without that background through trial and error and just having that heart to be like, I want to win in this. Or do you think that you couldn't have done it without your education? Um... So I think I definitely could have done it without my my education. I think I think what college and and high school et cetera prepares you to do is is maybe more about being disciplined and teaching a little bit of self discipline um, to complete tasks, you know. But I don't know that necessarily the content of what I did in school necessarily helped me. And I, I've mentored um, many people over the years who've asked if they if they think that going back to school to do an MBA is necessarily essential, um, you know, or, or if doing a bachelor of commerce is critical uh, to, to being an entrepreneur. And I, I don't think so. I think you can learn a lot through doing. Um, and I think if you're curious enough, you can basically find what you need uh, without necessarily having that formal education. What I will say is I think my corporate experience and the fact that I had so many years under my belt as a professional probably accelerated uh, some things for me. Like my ability to communicate in writing, um, my ability to negotiate and have conversations with people where I wasn't really 100% sure of what, of what I was doing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I have imposter syndrome and I, I had it then and I still have it now. But I think it gave me a little bit of a more sure footing um, as opposed to, let's say, somebody just starting out right out of college and wanting to start their own business. So I think it's just a function of, you know, with every experience you get in life, you, you tend to pick up things along the way and you may not necessarily realize that you're picking those things up. But then suddenly they come in handy uh, when you least expect them. Absolutely, I, I can. I fully agree. You're talking to a college dropout on the other end of this line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, like, before we get more and more into this, let's talk specifically about the product, so people can think about this within the context of what what you're currently up to and what you're selling these days. So, tell us a bit more about the product. Sure. So, um, my products, uh, our Thigh Society slip shorts, are essentially, in the most basic and simple of terms. They are a long leg boxer brief for women. That's the the most simple way I can put it. And the reason that they exist is because uh, women and men, but women in particular uh, for my product, (laughs) um, experience thigh chafing. Uh, Thigh chafing is something that happens when your legs rub together, um, often bare-legged. There, uh, you know, might you might be sweating, and um, through repeated friction, a rash might um, might come about, which is extremely painful. I know a lot of people who run. Um, will say that they're very familiar with thigh chafing. So I had a problem as a woman whose thighs touched uh, and rubbed together in the summer heat in that I could never go bare-legged wearing uh, wearing just a dress or a skirt. I always had to have some sort of undergarment underneath what I was wearing. And the challenge 10 years ago was finding an undergarment that was essentially that you know basic boxer brief for women. It did not exist. My my only option uh, were boy shorts, which is how you know the Victoria's Secrets of the world's 
um, will sell um, or will market underwear with a slightly, slightly bit of a leg, um, which doesn't actually cover with fabric most people's thighs. <laughs> um, so that wasn't about a, a good solution for me. Um, or shapewear, um, which you know many people are familiar with Spanx. Uh, they're long-legged um, undergarments, but they're quite compressing. So they're super tight and they're really not breathable, which makes them extremely uncomfortable and very hot, especially if you can imagine temperatures rising in the summer. And then the other option was shopping for men's long leg underwear, which, um, you know, is not a great option <laughs> because men's underwear has some extra fabric around, you know, male parts, et cetera. And so they weren't necessarily built for or made for a woman's body. Um, and finally, uh, at the time, the only options too were cutting pantyhose or wearing old uh, bicycle shorts, biking shorts, which which is, was my solution at the time. And those are usually made in black, usually pretty thick and heavy. Usually, they'll show um, you know panty lines underneath dresses and whatnot. And so I really was just looking for a pretty simple solution. I really just wanted, you know, if men could have their long leg boxer brief, why briefs? Why couldn't women? Why couldn't we have something that was lightweight, breathable, you know, moisture wicking to, you know, get rid of all that sweat that was accumulating and causing the rash in the first place, um, and be a one stop underwear solution, so you didn't have to double up on layers like I was doing with my bike shorts. And so essentially, that that was the, the genesis of the idea. For the shorts that we make today, um, we've gone through a couple of different styles, introduced new fabrics um, over the years. But fundamentally, the concept was a non-shapewear long leg boxer brief that could prevent thigh chafing for women. Awesome. So you got this idea in your head and you're like, all right, this isn't out there. How long were you sitting on it before you were just like, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. Let's get some prototypes. Yeah. Um, great question. So I, at the time, was um, doing a short stint in our provin- provincial government. And it was uh, the beginning of the summer. And I really distinctly remember this because it was around the time of my birthday, which is in early June. And it was one of the first warm days of, of summer, um, or technically spring, I guess, by that point. I, and I was going for my lunch break, walking downtown, and suddenly felt my legs rubbing together and was suddenly reminded of the rash that I had gotten in previous years. I had forgotten to put my shorts on because it was one of the first warm days and I hadn't really gotten in the habit yet of wearing them for that summer. And so much of our seasonality here is cold (laughs) in Toronto that it was really one of the first warm days. So literally, as soon as I got back to my desk from that lunch break, I went on online and this was 2008 at the time. So the internet wasn't... uh, (laughs) The the online shopping capabilities that we have today weren't necessarily uh, there back in the day. But I did spend uh, some of that part of that day and then the next few weeks uh, essentially searching the internet for a long leg short that wasn't shapewear for women. And I also spend some time going to some of the local boutiques um, in Toronto, uh, as well as some of our bigger department stores and looking to see if I could find um, this product that I was looking for. And online, I was able to find one or two examples of something close to what I was looking for, but they were only made by um, companies who were tailoring to uh, specifically a plus size clientele. So really sizes, I think in the if I recall correctly, it was a size 18 plus. So at the time, I was a size 8 or 10. So th- that wasn't going to work for me. So I spent um, the better part of the summer uh, literally 
telling every, asking every woman I came into contact with <laughs> whether or not they experienced thigh chafing and what their solutions were, because I was really just looking to find out maybe someone else knows about a solution that I don't. Uh, maybe some women out here have another idea that, that already exists and I just can go by that. Um, so I did spend the remainder, I spent from June through August, essentially continuing my internet search, uh, searches and speaking to people. And ultimately decided at the end of the summer after failing to, to come up with anything and find anything. And, and I'm a pretty good researcher, I have to say. I'm, and I'm pretty, uh, I, I can go pretty deep <laughs> into some searches online. And I knew there was really nothing. And so I made the decision uh, in August together with my husband, um, of course, because we have a mortgage and <laughs> needed to make sure that this was a realistic possibility. I actually made the decision to take some time off. Um, to fully explore the idea. Um, I wound up going back to full-time work six months later. But it was during those six months that I spent, um, again, speaking to everybody I could come into contact with and, and ask if women if they had had thigh chafing issues. And then started trying to find out who I knew who had experience in manufacturing, um, specifically either in garments or in intimates, in women's intimates. And I tend to be a pretty chatty person. So I was, you know, telling people at the gym what I was working on. Um, at the time, I remember being, by the way, I know some people are probably wondering, you know, do you share, should you share an idea that you have or should, or are you worried that someone else is going to copy you? And at the time, I think I remember being cautious that I didn't want to be too vocal about it because I didn't want someone to come and, you know, run in and quote, steal my idea. <laughs> but the reality is most people don't have time, even if they wanted to copy you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Like people have other commitments and no one's running out and like launching your new product the next day. Let's, let's, I want to, I want to interrupt you there just to give you some, some more information on that. So it's a, when you're talking about a consultant like me on the other end of that, uh, when it's a startup and they ask for like a non, like a non disclosure when they reach out to you about their idea, it tells, it tells the consultant that they're very new to the game because they don't understand that nobody has time to steal that idea. Nobody's as passionate as you are. So, is a word of advice out there. You think you have a brilliant idea. No one's going to work as hard as you are on that idea. And NDAs are pretty hilarious once you look into the legal ramifications of them. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. This isn't, this isn't, you know, advice. Uh, definitely talk to a lawyer, but, um, yeah, NDAs are pretty dumb in this line of work because, especially for me, I work with e-commerce brands every day. Like, I can't sign an NDA. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, I mean, I think you can be cautious about it. You don't have to spill all of your secret sauce, but like giving somebody the basic outline of what you want to do isn't going to be a recipe for a copycat. Exactly. Right. So uh, I was fortunate that I was I was a chatty person, and I happened to work out with a guy who I never knew what he ended up doing. But when I when I actually revealed what I was looking to do, which was to build this, you know, make this anti chafing short for women, I found out that he was actually uh, the production manager for Nike uh, Nike Canada for all of their domestic production. So what a great contact to have. <laughs> so he had introduced me to a few of his contacts um, here in Toronto who were. Uh, amenable to smaller minimum order quantities, which was certainly a concern. Um, and uh, essentially introduced me to that factory, which is where I met uh, a pattern maker and at the time, you know, a really great team who was willing to help me prototype and build uh, what it was that I was looking to do as I explained it. Um, also, by that point, I should mention, so I had uh, 
done a few online surveys um, and posted in some forums. I guess I'm not on Reddit now, but they probably would be like the precursors to Reddit, where I uh, I essentially asked in some groups where I thought I would have an audience for this product. You know, if you could wave your magic wand, what are some of the key features of this anti-chafing short would you want? And so I was able to get and um, collect a lot of feedback from, from real women um, from those informal surveys that I could then take back to help inform my decisions on fabric selection, you know, size range, styles, you know, waist, waist height, leg length, and, and that sort of thing. And so it was during those six months that I was working on the prototype. Essentially, I found at the same time through my network, um, a couple of places here again in Toronto who would source fabric. Um, at the time we were, the first product that I launched with was very different from what we make now. It was a cut and sew short um, made from fabric that we had purchased that had been uh, already produced overseas. And then we brought it to our cut and sew factory here and would would, uh, would sew it together. Um, but essentially, I mean, working through to get to that first prototype, uh, I had gathered together some, a group of, of friends who were um, my, my testers, my wear testers, and would, would give each of them a few pairs. At the time, it was also like still winter. Well, it was winter <laughs> here uh, in Canada. So I asked some friends if they had friends in hotter US states, like in Vegas at the time, in Florida, and shipped off some samples to women over there so they could actually test the shorts in, in warm weather. Um, and essentially went through a few rounds of prototyping before we landed on the final um, the final sizes, and then that's where when we were ready to go into production. Let's be honest. Today, all of your customers are going to have questions, and what are you doing to manage all those questions? Do you have a help desk for your business? One of our sponsors of today's episode is Gorgeous, and Gorgeous is the number one rated help desk for e-commerce. It integrates seamlessly with Shopify. We have installed it on a bunch of stores. It's also used by brands like Movement and Rothy's. And what it does is it takes all of your customer insights and information, brings it into one amazing dashboard, so you can solve their problem as quick as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.link slash honest. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot L-I-N-K slash H-O-N-E-S-T to get your second month free. Oh my gosh. So I can just tell from that story that like I understand how you found this success because you inadvertently did everything right. Uh, first and foremost, you are getting feedback and asking questions from your actual potential customers about the potential product before you made it. Like that is that is crucial. You're out there finding product market fit. You're out there trying to find the features that are going to help solve these problems before you even put a dollar really down mm -hmm. on producing this. You know that's amazing. Take that away if you're if you're working on you know a new product like you know, ask questions before you make something. That's 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 perfect. And then you were talking to everybody, you're networking, you're trying like inadvertently, you know, working your way to finding a manufacturer, finding people to help you along your journey to make this product a reality. You can't usually do this stuff just from your bedroom at your house. Like you gotta get out there, you gotta talk to people. You know, that's where that's where stuff actually happens. So yeah, that, that that's an amazing journey. Now you did all these prototypes. And now you're sending these prototypes to people for real feedback before you go into like a bigger mass order. Again, that's like the way that you want to do these things in small iterations. Don't just go all in on the first one because yeah. there's probably something wrong with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, this that's 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 fantastic. So let's let's speed up the journey a little bit. Yeah. So you've got your prototype. And you you launch. I'm assuming the launch was was a fun little part of the story. So let's let's you know let's give that one a, a few minutes. Okay. Um. So 
just to give a sense for timelines, I had the, the first idea for the product in June of 2008. And we launched with our store online on uh, July, around July 15th, 2009. So that was the time horizon. Um, I wish I could say it was this whole, you know, pop the champagne cork and it's time to launch. But I was actually in my office <laughs> in my corporate job uh, coaching MBA students. Hope I don't get in trouble to prove this uh, retroactively, right? <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, that's what you were doing." Um, but I remember flipping the switch. So, on you know, being at the office with my office mate um, and her knowing a little bit about what I was doing, but not really because I was I was focused on my my day job when I was there. Um, but I remember thinking, "I have to launch this during the day. This can't be an evening thing." And then clicking go. Um, I mean, at the time too, just to, to throw something in here, ten years, nine years ago, ten years ago. Shopify was still around. I mean, I like to joke that Thai Society was probably one of the first, you know, 100 to 500 stores actually using the platform. But back in the day, they hadn't yet expanded into web uh, website templates. So um, I had been working closely with uh, a, a developer and a designer to help actually come up with the original website. Shopify at the time was merely the e-commerce um, transacting the purchases, right? Yeah. Um, and so. I remember being really excited to have this product launch and obviously holding my breath as everyone does, you know, sort of wondering who's going to buy this, where, you know, where are my sales going to come from? And I, in those first couple of weeks, I had already sent some samples out to some bloggers because back then this was pre Instagram, pre um, Facebook, I think was around. I'm, I'm wrong, but pre the term influencer anyway. Um, because I knew anyways, at, at the time that I needed other people to help spread my message that as a solopreneur, I was not going to be able to single handedly uh, market this product. Um, and also, I don't think Facebook ads at the time were even remotely uh, as big as they have been in the last few years. And so I, I had seen some orders coming in. Um, and I had also I remember being really excited about getting one of my first orders from Australia, probably in that first month or so which was hugely exciting and very cool because for, for anyone that has an idea or concept, when you actually realize that there are strangers out there that aren't your immediate family or, and friends and friends of friends who are willing to put their hard-earned dollars to purchase something that you created and that you have put out to the market, and then to have them come from you know, far-flung places from across the world, <laughs> that's a really, really cool feeling. Um, and that's never gone away for me. I still get jazzed when I see where our orders are coming from. And, you know, same thing when we get customer feedback about how our product has changed someone's life, you know, not to sound all dramatic, but it, it's true. You know, our product really gives women the freedom to wear what they want with confidence. Whereas before they were forced to either abandon all hopes of wearing a dress in the summer, or they had to squeeze into shapewear or wear, you know, less than perfect solutions. So, you know, it still gives me. I, I'd still say I'm, I'm as excited as I was during those first few weeks of launching Thai Society back in July 2009 as I am now. <laughs> oh, and now let's let's do a big jump forward. Let's talk about today. Can you share whatever you're comfortable with sharing about kind of just to speak to the success of the brand and, and how you guys have grown from you know that initial launch in a boardroom where you probably should have been working? Yeah, I think fundamentally we. We Thai Society grew in two ways. We grew through the help of of what are now known as influencers. Although, again, back in the day, like I said, I would literally send product to bloggers, um, ask them, you know, if they liked it to write about it, and then 
they would write about it and that traffic would be sent to our site and we would get sales. Like life was very simple for the first few years. Um, same thing with editors of major media publications, etc. So I think the world has changed a lot in terms of marketing and advertising. And you know, being an influencer now is is a career path um, for some people. So it's um, we've had to sort of we've obviously changed our approach as time goes on in terms of investing more in paid advertising, um, whether that's through collaborations um, with some influencers, but mainly working on um, Facebook and Instagram ads, uh, focusing now a little bit more on our email list and building our community. But I do think fundamentally one of the sort of the se- maybe it's our secret sauce I don't know we presented our customers with a solution to a problem that they had from day one and a solution to a problem that many women were shy or embarrassed to talk about because they felt like they were the only ones with this problem or they felt ashamed of their body because their thighs chafed. So we were talking about body positivity literally since day one um, because this product, you know, I think it's, I used to say it was a really niche product, but now as time has evolved and, you know, some other companies have started doing some similar versions, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, you know, people of all sizes, women and men saying, Hey, this is a real problem. And this has nothing to do with what you weigh or what your size is. This is a, an unfortunate problem of the human body. So <laughs> I think, you know, I've always tried to, to take the approach of being very real with our marketing and very matter of fact. Um, taking the stigma out of thigh chafing and, and being a little bit lighthearted with our with our messages and our marketing. And I think a lot of that's maybe in line with my personality. You know, I, I happen to love a good pun. Um, <laughs> I love laughing. You know, I, I like to have a good time and have fun. And I wanted to bring some of that lightheartedness to the brand um, for a problem that that can be quite serious um, and is very painful. But give women the sort of freedom to be able to say, you know what, there's no shame in this. There's This is a totally normal problem. And here's a product that's going to solve my problem. So I think that has carried over um, in all of our marketing efforts um, over the years. And that has that has been what sustained us as a brand, um, not to mention, obviously, the quality of our products um, and, ha- and how they perform and do, do the job we say they're going to do. So... So I normally ask people uh, that are you know on kind of coming with like a more founders approach, like what the biggest win is. But obviously, yours is just having an amazing product idea. I, I think that might be the biggest win. So let's do the flip side of that. You mm-hmm. know, what was the what was the biggest stumbling point in 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 building the brand and, and over those ten years? Like, what what would you want to kind of help avoid other entrepreneurs from doing and when they're building their business? Oh, there are probably so many. I'm trying to think of one that would be the most value add. Um, so I think, okay, a couple of things. And I think, I think anyone can learn anything. I will say that. Um, so what I mean by that is if I didn't believe that I could learn about e-commerce and learn about how to manufacture a product, I would have just thrown in the towel before this became anything. So believe that you can access the information that you need in order to get better. Um, but you also have to be interested in what you're doing um, in order to you know to keep going because, like I said at the beginning, especially at the beginning when you're a solopreneur, you can't really lean on other people to do the work for you. Um, and I, again, I, we didn't talk about this, but I, Thai Society's been self-funded uh, since day one, and I was just very passionate for me about you know not wanting to owe money, not wanting to go out and. Um, raise you know millions of dollars in in capital and because it just wasn't how I wanted to run my business. Um, but I was very clear on that from the beginning, and I knew 
for me, what that would mean. Um, and that would mean slower growth. That would mean taking on more of the responsibilities at first by myself rather than being able to hire out and grow a big team. Um, and being, you know, more cautious with the growth in terms of inventory that I could purchase. Um, so I would say, you know, being, being very clear about some of those things when you're first starting out is important because you're not going to go from zero sales to a hundred thousand dollars in sales or whatever your goals are for your, you know, first few years. You're not, it's not going to happen overnight. And then secondly, I would say, I guess maybe sort of related to that is I was, often given advice. Um, everyone likes to give advice, especially to new entrepreneurs. <laughs> I'm giving it right now. But I think you have to sort of, again, stay true to what you you believe will work best for you. And so to give an example, in my case, is many people when I first started were suggesting that I could not achieve success with just one product. And we right now have on the site, we sell two products with two different rises and we have several more in the pipeline that we're launching this spring. But for the better half of the first six years, I had one product. I had one slip short that I offered at the time in four sizes. And people would look at me like I was crazy. Like, you have to expand. And why don't you make tank tops? And why don't you do different, you know, leggings? And people were telling me that I, that I wouldn't achieve any sort of success, especially in, in, um, you know, in, with wholesale, which I actually didn't end up pursuing. Um, you know, they, they said you're never going to be able to get people to continue to buy if you only have one product. And I said, you know, what I'd like to do is become really, 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 really good at one thing, build an audience from that, and then start expanding my product line. So I'd like to do something really well, make a product that is um, really competitive in the market, that really does what it says it does. And then as I learn through hearing from customers about what they want, that's when I'll start to introduce new products rather than just sort of throw all caution to the wind and just go out with a full product line, which which some people do and, and are very successful at. But I wasn't willing to take on that sort of risk. So I would say, you know, I kept... I stayed true to myself and how I felt, which was for me, the right thing to do in terms of how I wanted to grow and run the business was really sticking to that one product um, or two products to start and to grow very slowly uh, in spite of what people people were saying. So... I don't know if that answers the question. Oh no, it does. It, that's a great <laughs> answer. I, I I respect the one product, uh, like you know, just a small product catalog from a mm -hmm. marketing perspective. It's easier to write one story and like have that be put across all of your channels versus imagine having a product catalog in the hundreds of or thousands, like. How are you going? You can't. You don't have. There's no time in the day to write a hundred different stories or a thousand different stories and build a and build kind of a funnel that makes sense for that. But when it's small, it's you can you can really hone in on it and and, and press the right buttons and really tell the right story that's really going to help with your sales. For sure. I mean, and also learning, right? Like, you know, the more SKUs you have, the more of a world of hurt that you're in, right? Especially when you're dealing with different sizes. You know, for me, I have to really be very deliberate in my forecasting and you know try to guesstimate based on what sold last year and what sizes and what colors and what styles you know and if you were to jump in right away and try to do all of that at once it, it just I, don't, I chose to take a slower direction to, to to learn as I went I don't know maybe maybe I would speed things up if I was starting the business again now but I don't know that it would look drastically different uh, yeah I mean I think one thing I see all the time with uh, 
young entrepreneurs, just the way that they present their product line on, say, a Shopify or whatever your store is, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, they maybe don't buy into per se the expanded product line, but there's oftentimes I see a bunch of uh, uh, they see this so much that they'll have their core product and then they'll have like all the ancillary stuff that goes along with it, like you know value ads or you know you're going to need to replace this and that over time, whatever. But when I get to the website. I'm confused. What should I buy first? What is your product? What is the MVP? That should be front and center. Everything else should be kind of like tucked back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not confused because once you confuse me, you've lost that sale. Totally. Yeah. Keeping it simple. You know, we often forget as entrepreneurs what it's like to be on the other side. You know, I think that's whenever I'm not sure how to approach a problem, I always think about it from the perspective of my consumer. You know, what what is she thinking? What is she looking? How how is she looking at this site? How could she be interpreting this story? And that sort of thing. Absolutely. Now, is there anything that I haven't asked you today that you think that would be worthwhile sharing with the audience? I would say maybe I I wanted to touch upon another guiding principle that I've had since day one, and that's the focus on our customers. And I think that is something that every entrepreneur should have top of mind. I remember years and years ago reading Tony Shea's book, who is the CEO of Zappos. And he had a book all about how Zappos approached customer service. And this was back when it, what, what they were doing was pretty revolutionary, right? And I remember like some chapters that stood out to me where employees were given at Zappos were given discretion to go above and beyond for their customers, you know, to surprise and delight customers. And, and you know, one example was they, I think someone wrote in that they had a problem with their shoes, but they were, they couldn't return them because they had a funeral to go to. And the customer service rep essentially like sent them a sympathy card or something. Like another one was where they delivered a pizza to someone's house. I, the memories are, sorry, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but I remember th- reading that book and thinking, holy, Crap. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. <laughs> Thinking, wow, like that is amazing. Like, what kind of customer experience is that? And if I were that customer at Zappos, I would just be blown away um, by the fact that a that a big company would treat me that way. And it, it really impacted me. Um, and I, I also am very passionate about customer service in my day to day. You know, I'm very conscious when I'm at a restaurant or at a store what kind of service I'm receiving, and I like to pay attention to those details. And so. For me, I carried that forward into the business, and and my customer service team knows that, and they they we all um, you know we play by those rules, which is you know we want to make our customer happy, and and I should point out we have a product that is women's underwear, so for hygiene reasons, you know we can't really take returns on this product, um, but that shouldn't preclude us from being able to have satisfied customers who want to keep shopping with us and coming back for more, and so. Fundamentally, with everything that we do in terms of how we communicate, whether it's through you know customer service tickets or through social media or email, um, we always try to make the customer feel like we are there to help her solve her problem. And I don't see how you can go wrong with that. You know, like I know some people will say, "Yeah, but there are sometimes some bad eggs out there, and they may try to take advantage of you." and and get free stuff or get discounts. And, and to that, I would say, yeah, there, there probably are some people out there that try that, but they're not in the majority. Um, and especially with our customers, we have the most incredible customers um, you know, who share their feedback, who write reviews for our products, who comment on our posts. Um, and we, we want to continue to help foster that community and, and make them feel like we're... Yes, we're a brand, um, but we're also you know a brand that you can be yourself with and that you can have a conversation with and get a response that's personalized and not robotic and that we're going to go above and beyond 
to make sure that uh, all of our customers are satisfied. And I think that's something that every entrepreneur could could do well to to keep in mind, um, as well as tacked on to that is recognizing that in all of our marketing efforts, we want to make sure our customers represented. So, you know, back to my earlier point about body positivity, you know, we are conscious that all of our our creative when we are posting, you know, whether we're doing photo shoots and posting um, shots from that from that or lifestyle shoots, that we make sure that we have different body types represented, different ages, different abilities, different ethnicities. Because our customers represent that, you know, that array, um, and so we want to make sure that we're obviously continuing to represent them in in our marketing too. That's some sage advice right there. <laughs> There's a whole lot of gold there. I'm, that's why. That's honestly, I love talking to the app community. I love talking to other experts. But anytime I'm talking to founders on this show, it's just it's it's so much gold. I'm glad. <laughs> awesome, Marty. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.